0: Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope you are encouraged and deepen in your love of Christ while enjoying this podcast. Here is this week's message The fact that you were once a child has an important bearing on your life here this morning. Your childhood lives not in some fictitious sense, not in some mythical sense, but In reality, as an adult, your child still lives in an actual, literal sense within you now. It affects much of what you do, much of what you are, much of what you feel. It can impact, it can influence, in many ways it can even dominate, especially relationships and those people who are closest to you, your friends, your colleagues, your husband, your wife, your children. We know that a positive, healthy childhood can be the genesis of great strength for an adult, a powerful beginning point for a solid character formation, for psychological balance, for healthy relationships. But equally powerful from the dark side is a dysfunctional childhood that unleashes on those who find themselves as adults a plethora of personal demons from within that lead to uneven character formation, psychological imbalance, and unhealthy relationships. And in so even some of the most intimate relationships become unhealthy. Uh, take James Tony for instance. Uh, James Tony is the International Boxing Federation's middleweight champion of the world. Uh, recently, when I was perusing through Sports Illustrated, I saw an article that captured my attention because the title of it was biblical. It said, The Sins of the Father. And then the byline was this, James Tony yearns to punish the man who left him and his mother 22 years ago. Here's the beginning point of the article. The son hates the father, and it is a coursing, relentless hatred born of blood and abandonment. The father was a big and violent man. He and his mother tore at each other in reckless rage until one night the father took out a gun and shot the mother, leaving a bullet in her leg. The father left a short while later, just up and split when the boy was seven months old. But today that boy is a man, 23 years old and a middleweight champion of the world. And as he talks about the hatred, he works his knuckles in a way that some people spin the cylinder of a gun as if he's trying to get in touch with something powerful just below the skin or at least trying to keep it at bay. I fight with anger, explains James Tony Jr. My dad, he did my mom wrong. He left us. He beat up my mother all the time. He made my mom work two jobs and he left his responsibilities behind. I can never forgive him for that. Everything is about that. I look at my opponent and I see my dad, so I have to take him out. I have to kill him. I'll do anything I have to do to get him out of there. Last May 10th, a 20-to-1 favorite by the name of Michael Dunn dropped his hands a minute into the 11th round of a fight that he was winning easily over Tony. But Tony looked up and he saw his father there. He says now that when his left hook landed, I felt it in my toes. None went down, and he and his IBF middleweight title never made it out of the ring together. That is a breathtaking backdrop for a simple passage of Scripture that I want us to look at this morning in the book of Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 6, and you know when we went through this particular book study, the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians are very practical in nature. The last two, chapters 5 and 6, dealing principally with family relationships. And as Paul is bringing that to a close, he makes a very simple but profound statement to dads. And I say simple but profound in that so much of Scripture, when it's on paper, uh, looks elementary. But when you see it in life, and you experience it in life, and you see the truthfulness of it in life, it becomes a very profound statement that transcends life. And you know that it's accurate. And no amount of statistics or pollsters or people of certain degrees can get away from this particular truth. Now if you'll notice in verse 4 it says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, This is one of the most powerful contrasts in all of Scripture. It is talking about not just a point in time statement of scriptural truth to a son or daughter. It's talking about a lifetime under their roof of nurturing them, encouraging them, sharing with them, trying to live in such a way that the instruction about life and the nurturing of life come out of a Christian way of life. That's what's on one side of this scale. And that's what I want you to see, a scale here. So on one side is all of that, and it's a lifetime of responsibility and of work. But I want you to notice on the other side of the scale is just one word, one large word really, one word that needs to be put in capital letters, and that word is anger. You know, in the New Testament, in this day, there were two words that were primarily used for anger. One was the word orge, the other was the word thumas. Orge was a word that expressed anger that was suppressed within, that was kept within. Thumos expressed an anger that was expressed. Uh, You know, when you say, Bob is hot. Boy, he's really hot. Uh, That would be illustrating thumos. Here in Ephesians chapter six, verse four, the verb here for anger is not just orge, but an intensified form of the word orge. It's talking about A deep-seated, long-standing, inner rage that has come about from past abuse or neglect, an anger that may erupt from time to time on the surface, thumos, but in those eruptions that anger finds no cure or healing. And you know what I find amazing with this intensified form of the word that this word can be found next to a parent. <laughs> father. That's such an amazing coupling here. A father and orge. A deep-seated, long-standing anger. Now that may not make sense when you casually read through that, but let me tell you, up against James Tony, it makes good sense, doesn't it? Because let me tell you, the anger in James Tony. And the anger in Ephesians 6-4, they're one and the same. Most of you are probably not familiar, or maybe you are, with Betty Friedan. Betty Friedan is the founder of NOW, the National Organization of Women. She's also the author of the best-selling 60's book, The Feminine Mystique, a great influencer of millions of women and their views about life. She's also one that had a very negative view towards homemaking, the home, motherhood, she said the home in many ways is like a comfortable concentration camp for women. But Betty Friedan has had a remarkable influence over the years of affecting the course of American history. But sometimes it's, it's good to go look at the social leaders, not from the standpoint of who they are now, but from the origins for which they came. Marcia Cohen explored that very thing and the lives of other feminist leaders in her book, The Sisterhood. And she discovered that Friedan's mother, Marian, was in her words, and I'm quoting now, maternally inept. Betty Friedan's sister, Amy, describes their mother as one, and I quote, having a complete inability to nurture. We really, absolutely, she said, did not have a mother to love us. She was there, but she didn't know how to mother Ferdan's mother was an intensely critical woman who made Betty feel both unwanted and ugly all through her lifetime. Even to this day, says Ferdan's brother, my mother still thinks Betty has worked as hard as she could to make herself ugly. Is it any wonder that Betty Ferdan has sought to repudiate everything her childhood stood for? Home, marriage, motherhood. You see, it says in Proverbs 14:1, "The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down with her very own hands." That's what Marion did for Betty. And Betty still lives with it now. There are a host of studies that declare that a woman's early relationship with her parents affects her desire to have children, her feelings about feminism, her in enjoyment or investment in careerism and her mothering role. Gloria Steinem, another famous feminist who, by the way, was just recently on the cover of Time Magazine, wrote concerning her, by the way, very troubled childhood, these words, my ultimate protection from my parents was this. I was just passing through a guest in this house. In other words, Steinem fantasized that her biological parents were actually foster parents. And all through her childhood, the way she protected herself was by believing in kind of a mythical way that somewhere, at some time, her real parents would show up and rescue her from this pain. Is it any wonder that Gloria Steinem has repudiated everything that she grew up with? What do you hear in these stories? Tony, Ferdinand, Steiner. What do you hear in them? Is it not the resounding reality that within each one of these adults, and by the way, these adults, that within each one, the child of yesterday still lives today, in us, right now, impacting, influencing sometimes dominating adult life. In his best-selling book, Your Inner Child of the Past, Dr. Hugh Misseldine writes, As a child psychiatrist, I have been in a unique position to see in the adult what has happened to the child he once was. I often observe in their very origin the beginning of troublemaking adult attitudes beginning in the child. They are a child's way of dealing with the often unreasonable and excessive demands of his parents. And then I see the end result of these childhood reactions in the adult: loneliness, anxiety, sexual difficulties, depressions, fears, marital discords, and compulsive addictive behaviors. And then he adds, no one outgrows his feelings of childhood. For better or for worse, the child lives on in the adult. To all of this, I'd like to add two sobering statistical insights. You might jot them down, they're these. First, much of a child's core personality is formed by age six. Now that, by the way, is a truth you won't hear much today. (laughs) You'll hear it from those who really know. But you won't hear it much because we don't want to hear that because if we really believe that, it would affect much of the behavior in American life. But listen to Paul Meyer of the Minrith Meyer Institute responding on the subject of personality development. This is startling. And I quote, One of the things I have learned in my psychiatric training is that approximately 85% of a person's ultimate personality is formed by the time he is six years old. How a baby's parents rear him or her during these crucial first six years will determine much of how that individual will enjoy and succeed in life during the other 70 or 80 years. Much. How many today take that seriously? Secondly, most of your knowledge as an adult was gained remarkably early as a child. 50% of all knowledge that you will ever know, (laughs) you learn the first year of your life. Do you know that? 75% of all the knowledge that you will ever know, you learn by two years old. And then we wrestle like crazy, don't we, for the other 25% for a lifetime. But do you see how much is taking place early in a little girl our little boy and how impactful that is as they move on into adulthood. Why do I offer these stories and statistics? Only one reason here this morning. It's the reasons you'll hear over and over for the rest of the message and it's this. To unseat a terrible myth because there is a terrible myth that reigns over so many American homes and in the lives of so many moms and dads and has allowed those same moms and dads the reprehensible excuse to vent unrestrained emotions and words on one another, irresponsibly so in front of children. The excuse to triangle their children in unhealthy relationships with them to discuss and unleash on them adult problems that children cannot handle. In particular, their marriage problems as they graft in a child into the marriage relationship as kind of a husband or wife substitute the reprehensible excuse to consume themselves in careerism, or to vent unrestrained emotions and words on their sons and daughters, or to press unrealistic expectations on them that they can never live up to, or to escape into drugs and alcohol or pornography as if it has no effect, or ultimately to divorce. And what is that terrible myth? Well, I want to illustrate it here this morning with some visual aids. I want you to think of this hand as a parent and uh, oftentimes we talk that way, don't we? We say, these children, God has given these children into my hands. So I want this to be the parent, I want this to be the child. And I want the action points, that I'm going to illustrate here, to be how many parents view a child, okay? So oftentimes we walk in and uh, a child walks into a room and there's mom and dad screaming at one another. Some of the most vicious statements in front of that child, and they see the child there, and they think, he can handle it. Or one day mom comes to Junior and says, "Uh, dad and I are not doing good, and begins to cry and weep and wail into that child and ask that child to begin to parent her. Or maybe dad is gone all the time and, and the child says, I, I, you know, I never see you. Or mom's gone all the time and, hey, they'll bounce back. Or when they're maybe ending their marriage and they look over at Junior, but they're so consumed with themselves, they say, hey, he's resilient. She can take it. They'll get over it. See, this is the parenting style. And it goes all the way through. Now, there's something wrong with this illustration. What is it? The problem with all of this is this one thing. (laughs) It's this object. Children don't bounce. If we were to take that same scenario and bring it into realistic understanding, this is the parent and this is the child. And when we go through life with a child under our care and we take these excessive points under the myth that they're resilient, that they can take it and they can bounce. They may look that way to you, but here's what I want you to know they're experiencing. That's what they experience. And that's how they come out of it. And you know what these cracks represent? These cracks represent much of the pain that you will never see, at least under your roof. But then much of their life and much of life's energy at 21 for this child, at 27 for this child, at 33 for this child, at 42 for this child, at 51 for this child, at 65 for this child, much of life's energy will be consumed just simply trying to put these cracks back together. Do you know that? Because kids don't bounce. Kids break. Kids are not rubber. Kids are fine crystal. And for some reason, we don't want to know that. As we pursue kind of full bore a career or my needs or what I want. But kids look like this and they go into the world struggling to figure out how to put these cracks back together, or then choose unhealthy means to seal these cracks that never work. A child is a terrible thing to break. You know, recently I was reading in Parade Magazine an article called Fresh Voices. It's in the Fresh Voices section. And there was a teenager named Dallas. His parents were divorced, and he was offering advice to other parents. And this is what he said. If your dad has remarried or has a girlfriend, the father should write all the birthday cards and letters and stuff. Because if the only letter you get at camp from your dad and his girlfriend is written by her, you're like, why didn't dad write it? Even though he's working and he might not have the time, I'd rather not get a letter than just one from her. My dad's girlfriend is not just his girlfriend, she's a friend to me. I've known her a long time. But it's still kind of hard to get a birthday card that says, happy birthday, we love you, dad and Debbie, written by Debbie. Dad should at least sign his name, even if he doesn't write the happy birthday part. Do you hear a kid who's breaking while a dad is bouncing? Well, I do. A kid is a terrible thing to break. It's a lifetime of putting all that back together, if ever. Some of these cracks will bring long-term hurt, and the best illustration I know is an illustration that's common to a lot of us here, and that's the snowball. A lot of us have played in the snow. You've made a snowball or a snowman. Uh, We have a house that sits kind of on a large, steep incline, and when it snows, especially when it's that good, wet, sticky stuff that you like to play in, my kids get out and... They form on a snowball to make into a snowman and they begin to roll that down the hill. Have you done that? Isn't that kind of how it goes? And as it goes, what does it start doing? It starts layering up, getting larger and larger and larger. But see, kids know something about snowballs that parents don't know about kids. And that is every kid who's ever played in the snow knows that if you didn't pack that snow tight enough, if there are cracks in it, and it starts going down that hill and those layers start gathering that at some place, what happens? At some place, a big old piece of it just falls off, doesn't it? Breaks. And boy, you think, man, I'm already down the hill. I've got this huge ball of snow and part of it's now falling off and you try to pack it on. But it's never quite as tight. It's never quite as good as it should be. And plus, now you've got to carry it all the way back up the hill to build a snowman. Let me tell you something, kids know, and you hear them say it when they're playing snow, pack that, that core tight, make it good, because if it's good, it'll be good all the way down. Let me tell you something about you. What happened in the first six years of your life? Packed a snowball, and you don't move through childhood, and you don't leave childhood, you take childhood with you. And as it goes through life, you get bigger, you get stronger, You gather more layers, but at the core, you're still a child. You still feel like a child. And things resonate through that child to get to the surface through the adult. And if there are cracks there, then maybe at 25, maybe not, maybe at 30, maybe at 35, there comes a place where a big chunk of you just suddenly breaks off. And you try to repair it. And you put it back together, but you know, you've been there, you've built snowmen. No matter how hard you pack it, it's never quite as tight if it would have been done right at the top of the hill, right? A child is a terrible thing to break. And if there are cracks at the core, there'll be cracks in life all the way through life. And what are some of those critical cracks in childhood that impact us for a lifetime? You've got five blanks. For the sake of time, I'm only going to give you four. But I want to give you the four top ones that I see in my life and in other people's lives all the time. Because the child still lives, still influences, still impacts. And in some cases, no matter how many degrees, no matter what station in life, can still dominate. For instance, I'll give you the most important one first, the love crack. The love crack. I will never forget when I did a family life conference in San Francisco a few years back. I gave the dad talk. That's a very emotional kind of talk uh, about fathering on Sunday morning. And when the talk was over, from the back came this hulk of a guy. I mean, this guy was big. He was as tall and as he was wide and he came down with these huge arms and he just, tears streaming down his face and he just reached out to embrace me. And as he reached out, just for a moment, I noticed this huge ring on his finger, which later turned out to be the Super Bowl ring because he was a coach for the Oakland Raiders. But there was no time to be impressed in that moment because there were so many tears and so much sobbing. One, because he lost his job as a coach, One, because he was fighting with his wife. It was because what was being experienced there deep down within was a child in that moment. It was the biggest baby I've ever held. (laughs) But there was no discussion. There, There was no interaction. He just wanted to be held by a man. That's all. Just by a man who would love him in his childhood that still lived even in that moment. You know, I want you to know I meet hundreds of guys like that all over the country. I meet one very special guy like that every morning <laughs> when I look in the mirror. I feel that crack. It goes deep. <laughs> down in the root. It goes deep. I'd like somebody sometime to get down there and just hold me. Say, it's going to be Okay. The pathology that many men feel today about fatherhood, I fear will grow greater as we move into the nineties because the next generation might not be just yearning for a dad, but for a mom and dad. You see, in these critical core years of one to six years of age, when love is so incredibly important, less and less moms are there. I say that fresh moms. Focused moms. 50% of all children under 5 today are in some kind of regular daycare arrangement. Half of those right now are under 2 years of age. A RAND Corporation survey found that 38% of all women in America who become pregnant are back in the workforce when their child is 3 months old. Do they hear the statistics? Do they hear what psychiatrists are saying? No, because there's so much layered over all that as I seek to find me. And yet, as we look at this generation, are we any better for all that? In fact, perhaps the extreme narcissism that we see rampant everywhere, in my life, in your life, in society's life, maybe all of that in today's adult population is in part the result of a childhood love deficit and still seeking to somehow reclaim that, still cries out in some way to be filled up because here was this child in this home and nobody was really there to seal that snowball tight with love because everybody was too busy going their different directions, pursuing their own ends, filling their own cup. And so this child learned early a philosophy of life. And that was, if nobody is going to love me, and I've got to love myself. And so all the trinkets of the day, and the cars and the clothes and the pursuits and all that, they they don't get in touch with it many times at a much unconscious level, but all of those things is to fill up what was never there and never will be there, apart from a much deeper healing. More than anything else, kids need love. Lots of it. Love that's specific. That's spelled out in terms of time, real time, not downtime. Love that's spelled out in terms of words, positive, affirming, encouraging, rather than critical. And in hugs given and affection expressed verbally and emotionally. That's what kids need. And you can fail in many other places as a parent, but the one place you cannot afford to fail is with love. Fail a lot of places, but if you fail there, that crack is so deep and there's so much pain that for the adult who was once the child with the love deficit can hardly even look at it. It's too painful. Then there's the trust crack, the trust crack. Parents' relationships with their child early on, those first six to ten years. Provides the working model that that child will use throughout his or her adult life in relating to other people It's the working model that they learn and use from then on According to psychiatrist John Bowlby in his book attachment and loss He says if the parents are warm loving and emotionally accessible the child comes to believe he or she is lovable and worthy to give and receive Love later in adult life. he will be able to trust others form intimate relationships and expect others to treat him in the same way as parents have that's good. But, Bowlby says, if his parents are rejecting and cold and abusive, or physically, abs- or physically present but emotionally absent, Bowlby says the child will view life through the lens of mistrust. In fact, he says, this becomes a nagging deficit in their adulthood. The child will in adult life have difficulty being close to those who matter most his marriage partner. His children. The fact is, women who don't trust their dads growing up find it very difficult to trust their husbands in marriage. Our parental histories sail us from the safe harbor or unsafe harbor of childhood into the rough and stormy or smooth seas of adulthood. This is just fact. You're still a child here this morning. An adult, yes, but still a child who influences and impacts and sometimes dominates certain of your actions. Then there is the sexuality crack, a very sensitive crack, one that affects all of us. There's nothing as sensitive and vulnerable as how we view about our maleness or femaleness, and little words or phrases can have such an impact growing up, but it goes even deeper than that. It's now on a national scale for all of us to view and wonder why And we see that paraded across our screen every night concerning homosexuality. Every newscast addresses some gay issue. It's an important issue today. Gay rights, gay parades, gay protests, gay legislations. But let me tell you, behind that social drama, as national as it is, are individuals. People who still carry the child within them. Lives are represented here. And in each one of those, or most of those, there were difficulties in the parent-child relationship at a very early age. That's undeniable fact. Listen to psychologist Elizabeth Moberly. She says, in the adult homosexual condition, psychological needs that are essentially pre-adult remain in the person who is in all other respects a mature adult. Homosexual activity implies the erotization of deficits in growth that remain outstanding from childhood. And this is fundamentally a confusion of the emotional needs of the child who still is with the physiological needs of the adult who now is. Do you hear that? In fact, she goes on to say that the homosexual, whether a man or a woman, has often suffered in their fragile childhood sexuality some form of deficit in the relationship with the parent of the same sex. And now in adulthood they are seeking, in a misplaced way perhaps, to repair that lost childhood relationship through homosexual activity, to repair it, to try to heal it, but it won't be healed that way. Do you see the child still lives, still influences, still impacts, the sexuality crack. And then finally, there is the affirmation crack, probably one of the most significant moments in Jesus' life. The humanity of Jesus was when He was about to launch His public ministry. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 3. But He had consecrated Himself to John the Baptist and to God. He'd come asking to be baptized and John baptized Him to launch and coronate His public ministry to initiate it But then in an unexpected turn of events, suddenly the heavens opened and a special moment occurred, which occurred only one other time in the life of Jesus. And that is the voice of God the Father audibly spoke to Jesus. Only two times that happened in Jesus' life. This was one of them. And do you remember as he was about to launch out what the voice said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Do you think Jesus needed that? Do you think Jesus understanding the road that he was about to travel, the death that he was about to experience, do you think his humanity needed a strong, powerful, parental affirmation of who he is and what he's about to do? If you don't, you miss our humanity completely. Because without that, Jesus' humanity would have been incomplete, and I would take it even further. His humanity throughout the rest of his life would have had a certain hollowness to it as he wondered what he was affirmed to do. Do you think we need that? Absolutely. Every child, son or daughter, needs the blessings of his parent. Uh, John Trent and Gary Smalley have documented that in a well written book called The Blessing, and maybe even as an application point of today's message. Read that. Let it soak into your life as a parent and see how badly kids need to know that they're okay and that what they're doing is okay. One of the most common demons that stalk today's adults from yesterday's childhood is the knowing sense that I have never met mom or dad's expectation. That I'm not good enough. That I'm not pretty enough. That I'm not smart enough, that I'm not social enough, that I'm not successful enough, that I chose the wrong person to marry, that I chose the wrong career to pursue, that the things I do, that they're less than what they should be. And no matter how much I do or how much I achieve or what I become, I, the child, cannot fill up that empty space which has been sacredly preserved for mom Our dad to fill. Affirmation for who I am and what I am. I can't do it. I can put all kinds of trinkets in there and there's a black hole. It's hollow unless mom or dad heal me with their blessing. Most of you saw the movie Field of Dreams. And if you did, and if you thought about it for any length of time, you know that the movie Field of Dreams is not about baseball. Field of Dreams is all about male affirmation, and a very powerful movie about male affirmation. And I can remember so powerfully that moment sitting there with my family in the theater when shoeless Joe Jackson walks out into the outfield near the corn patch with old Doc Graham. Do you remember that? And Doc Graham had stepped over the line back into his medical profession when he had had this yearning to be, you know, a baseball player, but he made this decision. But what you sense beneath the surface, just ever so shallow beneath the surface, is that no one ever told Doc Graham that what he did was right. (laughs) There they are, standing at the edge of the baseball field next to the corn patch, and in this moment that just tore me up. Shoeless Joe Jackson throws the baseball to Dr. Graham. What does he say? The most powerful words any man wants to hear. He threw it to him, he said, hey, you're good. You're good. And you could feel the healing right there on the screen. Have you had that? If you don't, that force keeps driving you to find it somewhere but it's found in a parent. Only a parent can give the blessing. You know, I remember a powerful moment in my life when I was a senior in high school and had a real troubled childhood of ebbs and flows with my, my family. And I can remember one of these many affirmations that meant so much to me. We had a coach who was uh, kind of the dean of coaches in Louisiana, he'd been at our high school for 38 years, and this guy could say more with a nod or a wink than most guys could writing a huge book. It just had that, that charisma. And after games, we would all line up, you know, and walk out and coach would be there at the door and he'd shake our hands and give us 50 cents, two quarters, big roll of quarters he had. He give us two quarters because that was legal for us to go buy a Coke after the game. And I never will forget my senior year with all this stormy seas around me, being the last in line. Walking up there to Coach Garrett and him looking at me and handing me a roll of quarters, squeezing my hand, smiling, and affirming me with, You're good. Go for it. The power of affirmation. Without it, there's a crack that the child cries out his whole life, even when he's 65 years old. Who am I? What am I? Am I good? Children don't bounce. Children break. And these cracks, as I've mentioned, can last a lifetime. And so what do you do? Can I start by speaking to those of you who have kids who are still under the roof of your home? Maybe are young. And in particular, if they're young, then hear me well. What I'd like to do is suggest that you pursue, doggedly pursue, five expressions that anybody who is anybody in the field of marriage and family will tell you this will breed healthy kids. They're very simple. They'll sound simple, but they're not. Here are the five things. First of all, love, but a special kind of love. First of all, lots of love with large amounts of time, with fresh focus from you with positive words spoken and a number of hugs and verbal expressions given. Every child needs that. Secondly, discipline, spelled out clearly in defined boundaries and defined responsibilities and consequences that go with the violation of either one of those two. Thirdly, consistency. Consistency in the parents carrying out those boundaries and responsibilities with the child together, not one playing against the other, but agreeing together what to do so that the child has a very stable and defined environment. Fourthly, example, and Bill talked about modeling last week, so I won't say any more about that, but I want you to know modeling, modeling is the most important thing in your home other than love because you will leave in your children, what you have lived out in your home, that will be their direction. It won't be your words. It'll be your expressions and your responses and your excitement and what you pursue. That is what they will take into the 21st century. You'll leave in them what you've lived out. And then finally, the fifth one would be a father who leads biblically. Now for those who, for whatever reason, are single moms This is not meant to be a put-down for you. I want you to know that. But you know it all too true as something that's needed. God has a special view towards you, but you have a special responsibility to find some male counterpart for your children. But for the rest of us, it is a father who leads, not just leads, hear that last word, leads biblically. And if he doesn't lead biblically, there are going to be problems. This week I received a letter from someone out of state who just wrote me. I don't know him but he knows someone in our body and he wrote me this letter and he said this, Dear Robert, I need some practical spiritual help from you. Our family was highly dysfunctional for a period of time leading up to and during the initial stages of my son's treatment. He has a severe compulsive disorder. This home environment probably was called by deterioration, now listen, in my relationship with God, and my lack of leadership in the home, which was brought on as I see it now by what I call the middle-class syndrome, a job which sometimes requires 70 hours a week, bills, children going everywhere without my understanding, etc God has been able to work parts of my sin and my situation out for good. I've renewed my relationship with God. I've assumed my family leadership role and each of my children including my problem son, have come to know and profess faith in Christ personally during this period. This in and of itself is as much as I could have asked as a father and husband, but I am diligently searching now for a way to improve my son's situation. And then he puts in capitals, Robert, I want my son back. With that attitude and with that pursuit, you probably get him back. But I want you to know, any psychologist or psychiatrist, or for that matter, any school teacher, can tell you that a vast majority of trouble-struggling kids come from a home where the father is absent, weak, or present, but emotionally absent from the family. The majority of problems come from that situation. And I know Dan Quayle has become cannon fodder for a number of comedians, but here's what I want you to hear if you listen to that address. What Jay Leno said about him, Mr. Vice President, Murphy Brown is a fictitious person. What I would have hoped the Vice President would have turned and said, Mr. Leno, Murphy Brown is a despicable lie. At the root, it is a perversion of what child rearing is all about. To think, to think that we have women who now think that a paycheck can easily replace a father is a despicable lie in any sense of the word. And I will guarantee you that one day, not this day, but a future day, there'll be a vast number of children who will weep and gnash their teeth in anger children from those homes who will turn and punish society for the fact that we just simply laugh them off with a late night joke. Every kid needs a father, needs a male role model who's living biblically. Now that's for those of you who have children, if they're still with you, but what about us, on the other hand, who maybe our kids are gone and we've hurt them, or maybe, as I've talked, your focus has been on yourself in your childhood. What about us? Let me give you three recommendations. If you're a parent and you've hurt your kids, if you feel guilt here this morning, don't deny that guilt. Do something about it. I would suggest that you use the time that we're gonna have in a few moments to confess what you've done to God. Don't hide that, meet it head on, that pain. And then as you do that, know that God hears that no matter what it's been and forgives it. You know, the scripture says some powerful truths that are still available if you'll just believe them. And that is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. He can let it go. He can let you go and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But then don't just ask forgiveness there. Go on and seek reconciliation. Cleanse your soul of wrongdoing, and that takes an additional step by going to your son or daughter. Find a good safe place in the corner of a restaurant. Look them in the eye and say, Billy, would you forgive me? Mary, would you forgive me? Say that to them. Be healed. Don't run from the pain. Pursue into the pain to find healing. The scripture has told us what we can do if you want relief. Cleanse your soul. But if you've been hurt as a child, I would offer this, forgive your parents. You know, one of the things that's helped me so much is as I've gotten more and more as an adult, I've gotten to know my parents as people, where they came, the homes they were raised, the struggles they had, You know, now as an adult looking at them and seeing all the stuff that went back and forth, I can understand why they did some of the things. It hurt. It left scars. But I can't forever go on blaming them so I can be irresponsible. That's just as sinful. There comes a place where you have to say, they were just real people. I forgive you. And why shouldn't we be able to do that when we only get in touch with how much we. Look at yourself. How much you've been forgiven how much pain Jesus Christ has let go. Let theirs go. Give them a blessing. Forgive them. Let them be healed. They were weak, just like you're weak. And then finally, go on from there and fill up the cracks that you've got in your life and in from your childhood with the person of Jesus Christ. Do you you remember the story, the little nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. You know, if I can do some exegetical analysis on that proverb, there's some great truth there. All the king's horses, what does that mean? In ancient times, horses were a great symbol of power. Do you know that? In fact, you pull up the hood of your car, you don't say there's engine power there, do you? you say, there's horsepower. We still use it. Power couldn't put Humpty together again. Power of achievement, power of success, power of material gain, power. No matter how much of it, it couldn't put Humpty together again. So we finally understand that. So in our day, what do we run to? All the king's men. Who are the king's men? King's men are his counselors, aren't they? His wise men, his... His court who advised him as advisors so we run to counselors and therapists and all those people and we're hoping they can put Humpty together but you know what they can't they can help they can't heal and so we're left in this funny place because the nursery rhyme ends leaves us in a sense of desperateness doesn't it but I want to finish it for you this morning all the king's horses And all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but the king could. The king can put Humpty together again. He can make sense of it all. Jesus Christ's most powerful declaration is, I have come that you, you cracked son of a gun, you could have life and you could have it abundantly. What does that mean? That means that this little piece, it doesn't have to just be forced together by a new BMW because it won't work or another girlfriend or another drug. It can actually be healed. But let me tell you, to get that healing, you can't just attend church. You've got to give the king your life, radically give Him your life. Pursue his presence. Believe His directions. It's going to be by faith in the beginning if you're new here. It's going to be uncomfortable at points. You're going to not know how to figure it all out. But if you will pursue it, I stand as one, as a living testimony of 20 years with the King. There's healing here that no counselor and no trinket could give me. I offer a healed Humpty to you this morning if you'll just take him with your life. You see, the bad news is this. Kids don't bounce, they break. But the good news is this. The king delights in putting his kids back together again. Let's pray. Father, in this last moment of our service, may we not run from the pain, but may we run into it. With the love of Jesus Christ, offering forgiveness, asking for forgiveness that no wise man could give us and no trinket could offer us. I pray as we gather around the Lord's table that we might meet you in a powerful way to find wholeness and health to step into the abundant life. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us. And thank you that your presence is the key to life. We accept and receive that here today and celebrate it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.